What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, it's all about getting ready to kick off the season of Halloween and horror in my in-depth look at upcoming horror game, The Chant. Gamers, I can't believe that the season of Halloween and horror is upon us yet again. It feels like it was just last Halloween, but I am not complaining at all. You guys know me. If you've listened to me, you know I love anything horror. I love this season of Halloween. I got a lot of cool stuff lined up for the show. Every year I do a terror on the sea segment. And each year, the last couple years, I've done it a little bit differently than the year before. That is going to be no different this year. Going forward, starting with next week's episode, October 2nd, the official start of the month of October and what I consider the season, the month-long season of Halloween, every week I will be looking at my most anticipated game that I am looking forward to in the horror genre. This week, it's kind of like a prologue to that. I couldn't wait to kick it off, and there is... Just so much excitement I have for this game that I want to discuss with you guys this week. And that game is, as forementioned, called The Chant. Now, if you haven't heard of this game, it wouldn't surprise me because even though it, the developers and publishers, they put a lot of marketing out there for this in the form of trailers and behind-the-scenes look at the cast and the music and story trailers and all kinds of stuff. Just type in the channel on YouTube and it'll bring up a ton of videos for you to get lost in for a very solid half hour or more of really good content if you are interested in this title. Now, it is published by Prime Matter and developed by Brass Token. And the coolest thing about this to me is this is Brass Token's very first game. And if you have seen anything on the chant already, then I would assume that you'd probably agree with me that, man, for this being their first full-on game, I'm actually pretty impressed. They've really got a lot of great-looking work that I cannot wait to get my hands on a controller and experience. And I just could not wait to go into the details and dive right into it with you guys right here, right now. So, here we go. Immediately, this game, when I look at it, when I first saw this game, it immediately reminded me of a supermassive developed game. Now, if you don't know who supermassive games are, they are the developers of the Dark Pictures Anthology series of games. Got their newest one coming out later this year, The Devil and Me. They also did The Quarry, came out earlier this year, as well as fan favorite Until Dawn, back on the PS4 amazing game the quarry amazing game if you want my detailed thoughts on that check out my review i also have most of the dark pictures anthology games the reviews for those that have come out so far right here on the show so check those out if you're interested i really really love this type and this style of game and why did the chant remind me or make me think of supermassive 
Well, I got to be honest, Supermassive to me is synonymous with absolutely amazing, gorgeous looking graphics and visuals, the amazing amount of detail within character models and just the way the lighting and the way they do mud and water and whatnot on a human face is just bar none, in my opinion. And when you see different trailers and different screenshots highlighting certain scenes like what I've just described in the chant, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I have to give credit where credit is due, and my absolute good friend, the Graveyard Gamer from the Graveyard Gamer podcast right here on Anchor. Check his show out. If you like mine, you'll love his. I promise you that. But Graveyard Gamer, he is actually who turned me on to this game. I had no idea of its existence at the time, and he said, hey, man, you might want to check this out. <laughs> it looks like a, it's a super massive game. Well, let me just say that it is much more than a supermassive game. And I don't mean that as a slight whatsoever to supermassive or their games because I absolutely love them and can't wait for the devil in me. But what I mean by that is, okay, so yes, it is a single player, third person, action adventure horror game. Yes, it's got all of those elements. It's very cinematic. It's very finely detailed graphics. The biggest difference is the Supermassive games don't really put a lot of focus on combat. It's really more about, almost in a way, you're controlling a horror movie. It's like you're actually controlling certain scenes and making decisions in a horror movie instead of just idle entertainment and watching it. There is so much more going on here in the chant. And basically, we're going to start with this description and this preview with the story. Now, it's supposed to be a peaceful weekend. There's supposed to be this island retreat that this group of people get together and go to. There's a couple of friends. The main protagonist is invited to come to this island by a friend and join and kind of unwind for the weekend. Well, as the weekend unfolds, this group, basically, you kind of come to find out that there is a, a cult operating here on this island. There's a lot of history to this island, and after this chant is sang or sung by this group, unfortunately, they open the gloom, which is this psychedelic dimension of terror, and this gloom feeds off of negative energy. So what happens is it it's one of those things where I've seen it in movies before and other aspects of entertainment and media. The gloom is going to influence this group of people to try to push them to be negative so it can therefore strengthen itself. And as you, the player, as this innocent woman who comes to this island at the request of a friend, you are stuck in the middle of this and have to figure out how to survive, how to untangle the history of the island and find out all of its secrets and witness terrifying revelations about the cosmos quote unquote that is coming straight from the developer there that last line now it is very much this island the former location of a 1970s cult now of course the cult that i refer to in present day that this main protagonist comes to the island to visit and to be a part of obviously they're not looking or calling themselves a cult so they are all about prismic science, which is 
basically said to be a profound realignment to your entire way of being. And I'm sure there's a lot more details and explanation of what it actually is, that prismic science. Once we get into the game and we can actually start reading documents or watching in-game videos or having interactions with characters, it'll explain it. But the bottom line is prismic science is the main driving belief force behind this cult. And, you know, as the game goes on and the story goes on, these other members of the retreat, they're going to slowly start losing themselves and their sanity. And it is up to you as the player to kind of reason with them and to keep them on the non-aggressive side, the non, the, the positive energy side and stay away from that negative energy and that energy that's going to fuel the gloom. So... I just cannot wait to see what the details of that story are. I'm a glutton for going to a place that has a past history and then experiencing and discovering the story of that past. So I cannot wait to see what that story is. But there's a whole lot more going on here than just the story and interacting with NPCs and things of that nature. You know, in supermassive games, you constantly switch between a group of characters, right? And you have dedicated time with each one of them at certain points in the game. Well, as far as I can understand so far, the chant is not that. You play as the one main protagonist. And as you go through, it's not just about conversations and dialogue options and influences on story and quick timer events. It looks like if I can be accurate on my perceptions of what I've seen in some of the trailers, there's actually combat in this game, which again is a massive departure from what you would usually see in like a Dark Pictures anthology or Until Dawn of the Quarry. And don't get me wrong, it's not to say there's not moments of action or combat in those games, but it's massively brief and it's very specific to a certain sequence in the story. Whereas in the chant it's actually a very important part of the game and its gameplay you can choose not to fight if you do not have the resources or if you just want to kind of hey fight or flight uh we're going to choose flight this time because these creatures these prismatic creatures that are created and come from the gloom they're actually pretty intense looking but they look awesome i love the enemy designs they just look really grotesque and creepy and kind of mixed with that prismatic dimension that you would kind of just, where I go to in my mind when I think of prismatic dimension, however you verbalize that, I don't know. But that combined with real world creatures such as maybe these, think of a, a giant, massive, disgusting looking frog with massive, sharp teeth just coming at you and just all these different weird masks that people are wearing that have all these giant sharp teeth that are sticking out of them as well there's just a lot of really cool enemy design it looks like that is going into this game there's a lot of massive bulky sized creatures as well that look like they'd be pretty terrifying if they're coming right at you and just honestly the flora and fauna in general looks like it will be affected in this realm from that prismatic dimension as it bleeds over and tries to take over but your way to survive in this combat scenario or multiple combat scenarios throughout the course of the game, you're going to have some salt. Obviously, demons and 
things of other dimensions don't typically like salt when they come over here. So it looks like salt is going to be a good item to have in your arsenal throughout the course of this game. You can throw that at the enemies, kind of get them caught off guard or staggered a little bit. And then you have different forms of flammable attacks as well that you can kind of combine with that. And there's multiple other ways. It looks like a combination of melee combat as well as QTEs or quick timer events that I mentioned earlier. And it, honestly, I haven't seen anything detailed on these different abilities yet, but it looks like you're going to have some sort of magical type abilities where you can summon spikes from the ground and do all kinds of other different cool looking things. So very, very different than any super massive game. So if that was your initial assumption upon looking at it as was mine, there is so much more here than essentially another super massive style game. Now, the audio and music director, Paul Ruske, he says he's taking cues from 70s John Carpenter films and is inspired very much by the late 70s and early 80s horror films like Phantasm and The Wicker Man. And it just sounds and looks exactly like they are saying. And it sounds and looks awesome. And I can't wait till this game releases. It's actually not too far off. We are now at the end of September of this year, and it is just over a month away. November 3rd is the release for the chant. And it is coming to PS5, the Xbox series of consoles. It's also coming to PC. So just about any family of console or format that you choose to get your gaming from, you'll probably have an option to play this game. So if you haven't already checked out the videos they have out there promoting the chant, definitely give them a look because I think the game just looks and sounds really, really unique, really cool. And I can't wait to get my hands on a DualSense controller come November 3rd. And I say DualSense because I am choosing to play on the PS5. It does confirm in the PlayStation Store it has that adaptive trigger and haptic feedback functionality, which is a game changer for me when choosing multi-platform games. But either way, I'm sure no matter the platform that you choose to play it on, it's going to be a terrifyingly awesome experience. So that was this week's Catch of the Week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, this past week, I only played one game during any play session that I had because it is that time. It is that time of focus. And when I tell you what the game is, you'll know what I mean if you've been following my show. That game that we're going to discuss is Ghostwire Tokyo. Now, gamers, I did drop another eight and a half hours of progress into this game this past week since I last updated you. And the reason why it's become a period of focus at this point, what I mean by that is this is the sole game that I am wanting to focus on at this point in time to ensure that I complete it because I have a vacation coming up here pretty soon and I really had a goal set for myself. I would have loved in a perfect world to have been able to complete Ghostwire Tokyo and Assassin's Creed Rogue. Because if you, again, been following the show, I've been kind of alternating between those two as my main two games. I kind of had to dial back on Assassin's Creed Rogue, guys. I, gotta, I had to put that focus 100% into Ghostwire Tokyo to try to ensure that I, at the very least, complete this game before I go on vacation. 
It's just going to, I'm gone for about a third of the month of October. And when I get back, there's a Plague Tale Innocence. Right when I get back, it actually releases while I'm on vacation. And then we have, of course, The Chant on November 3rd. God of War Ragnarok November 9th. Not to mention I skipped the Resident Evil Winter's Expansion that comes out on October 28th. You get the idea, guys. There's a lot coming out. And I have got to start emptying out some space here and completing some games. But that's not to say that I did not enjoy my time in Ghostwire Tokyo. That is absolutely the complete opposite of what actually happened. I loved this eight and a half hours that I progressed in the game. Believe it or not, I did finish up defogging the rest of the eastern side of the map of Shibuya. And let me just clarify right now that at a time, I had thought that there was this eastern side of the map. And then once I finished that, I would progress to the next chapter. Chapter 5 would have been what that chapter would have been. And it would then probably unlock all kinds of Tory gates for me to defog the western side of the map. Well, guys, that did not happen. What, what I ended up finding out in my playtime towards the end of it is that chapter 4, in fact, is just about almost a point of no return. Even though there are six chapters in this game with at least two missions per se in each chapter now once you complete chapter four you get to a point where the game tells you hey look uh, do you have any unfinished business you might want to clean that up before you go forward you can fast travel back to shibuya but once you move forward here you could lose access to this that and the third so i'm just like well wait a minute now <laughs> this is not what i expected to happen so regardless until I got to that point, because that's pretty much where I ended my play session this morning, actually, before I started recording. And what I did before that and leading up to that in the bulk of that eight and a half hours, right? I was mostly cleansing the final Tory gates and doing all the side missions that popped up once I cleansed them, grabbed all the collectibles in those respective areas, getting the Megatama from all the yokai, which are demons in the area, transferring lost spirits, all that kind of stuff that I've been talking about for the last couple of months that I've referenced my playtime in this game with you. Now, it was probably about seven hours into that playtime of the eight and a half, maybe closer to seven and a half, that I had completed or got to the end of chapter four. But again, to reiterate, I did not know that this was going to be a semi point of no return. So I'm just continuing on with the game because I'm thinking, okay, cool. Finishing chapter four, going to chapter five, you know, six chapters, let's do this. Well, once I got to that point, there's a lot of factors that kind of worried me a little bit, which if you know the trophy list for this game, there is a trophy for transferring all the spirits of the city of Shibuya, which is 240,000 before you complete the story. Now, that is what the trophy description says before you complete the story. It doesn't specify chapter or anything like that. But once I realized and had that pop-up message telling me, hey, if you have unfinished business, maybe you want to do it before you go forward, 
I went forward anyways because I'm like, oh, well, it says you can fast travel back to Shibuya. This isn't the end of the story. This is only chapter four out of six. Like, it's got to be because, you know, there's been certain points in other games. Horizon Forbidden West was one more recently where there are certain segments where it says, hey, you're going to be gone for a while and not be able to be back to the main map for a while. Is this something you want to do right now or do you want to do other things before moving forward? So I'm thinking, oh, it's probably something like that. Well, let me just say it is not. <laughs> and that terrified me because my plan has always been to get a platinum in this game. And that requires me to unlock a trophy, which is transfer all spirits from the city before completing the story. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to get screwed out of that trophy and therefore my platinum. I would have been a very, very angry gamer if that were the case. So when I looked it up online, I did find out that sure enough, yes, uh, the, the chapter four completion is technically where the story and the developer and the description is talking about that you have to complete all the spirits having been transferred out of the city by then. And so at this point, I didn't even mess around anymore. I said, you know what? I'm not going forward anymore. I had a hard save that I had done about an hour before I got to this point of completing chapter four. So I reloaded that save and I got to do a couple side missions over, but it's not no big deal. At least now I know exactly what I have to do. And there are some things that I'm going to cover with you in my buried treasure segment a little bit later in the show. That way you guys don't miss out on things either if you plan on playing the game and going for that platinum. So my main focus now in the game is going to be collecting all those spirits while finding the last Jizo statues, the final 13 Tanuki, and obtaining the final three abilities and the abilities screens. So hopefully next week I can tell you guys that I've at least done those things and maybe maybe even completed the game and gotten that platinum. Only time will tell. But in this eight and a half hours this past week, what was my highlight of the week? Gamers, in eight and a half hours of Ghostwire Tokyo, even though it was mostly collectible, hunting, and doing some side missions, and defogging, and cleansing Tory gates, I still had a lot of fun doing all those things. But what was the highlight out of everything that I did? So honestly, for me, my highlight was actually finding out that I was closer to finishing the game than I thought I was. And that kind of includes and goes hand in hand with getting the trophies for cleansing the final Tory gate and collecting all relics. So all those three moments kind of all in one, that was my highlight this past week. Because again, I'm kind of feeling now like I'm on a, a, a time clock, if you will. And I really would like to get as much more into Rogue as I can before I go on vacation. So if that means I'm beating Ghostwire Tokyo a little bit earlier than I thought I might, that's great. Again, not a discredit to the game or a slander to the game at all. It's just, okay, all right, well, that's, hey, I'll, if, if a bone is thrown my way, I will gladly take it. And especially with collecting all relics, getting that trophy because gamers... There are 123 total relics in this game for you to collect. So again, uh, knowing that I have gotten all of those and that part of the game is complete, uh, it was just a nice sigh of relief. And again, I loved 
those relics. I loved what they were. They were always really cool, had great descriptions and stories and lore and history behind each and every one of them, to be honest with you. And I loved it. But at the same time, it was it was a lot when you would see all of those different icons, the new ones pop up on that map. So to know that I am 100% done with all the relics at this point in the game, that is awesome. All Tory Gates cleansed, that is awesome. And overall, to know that, hey, Ghostwire Tokyo, the city of Shibuya, might be getting saved a little bit sooner than I initially thought it would, that's definitely cause for a highlight of this past week. Now let's go open up a buried treasure gaming chest of tips I have for you in Ghostwire Tokyo. Gamers, this week, a lot of what I have to tell you, pretty much everything that I have to tell you in this buried treasure gaming segment is going to essentially get you the trophy in a few different scenarios. So first off, I just want to say, anytime that you come across a new store, and you know what I'm talking about, there's convenience stores everywhere, as well as different vendor stands that you come across on the street. I'm telling you, every time that you come across one, buy something. Once you get the bow and arrows and you can replenish your arrow ammo by buying the arrows at the indoor vendors, every time, no matter, even if it's just two or three arrows, buy them. Dog food. You'll know why when you play the game. Always have dog food on hand. For me, I just a random number of 15 I wanted to always keep in my inventory at any given time. There's no inventory limit or encumberment that you have to worry about in this game, so go all out if you want to. My point is, I always tried to make sure that I had at least two of every food item, and every time I went to a new street vendor or a new indoor store, convenience store, I would always buy Anything that it said I had zero quantity of in my inventory. The reason why there is actually a trophy for acquiring and trying all food and drinks in the game. And there are a ton. So let me just tell you, that's why I'm saying every time you come across a new street vendor or a new convenience store and there's something new there that you don't have, just even if it's just one, just buy one just to have it because it's that way you're incrementally the entire time you're playing building up towards that trophy completion. In addition to that, it's also helping you for another trophy, which is Big Spender. Spend 1 million Mecha. Mecha is the name of the currency in the game. So you got to spend a million bucks basically throughout your playthrough. And if you're constantly replenishing your inventory of arrows and buying dog food and other items of energy drinks or food as you see them at the street vendors, then you'll have no problem meeting either of these trophies pretty pretty quickly, to be honest with you, just in regular playthrough. Now, there is another one, a trophy called Pious, which is donate a total of 10,000 mecha into offering boxes. Now, these offering boxes, they're typically found right next to Tory Gates. Not every Tory Gate has one, but most of them do. And the icons on the map for the, the boxes, they look like, honestly, like CDs or DVDs. They look like a disc. So when you see that icon, always seek it out. And always, I recommend, pay out the 500 mecha amount as far as a donation. And the cool thing is what you have the option to purchase with these donations is you basically pray, donate the money, and then you can ask for, hey, show me where more Jizo statues are or you know, whatever the case may be. So it can also help you when you're hunting for collectibles and different things like that. 
But every time you see one, I would just recommend just always do 500, 500, 500, because every two is a thousand and you need 10,000, do this 20 times and you can come back eventually and back around and even go to the same donation box if you want to. Bottom line is every time you see something new in this game, always spend the money. And if you're worried about Mecca and not having enough and running out, don't worry. Literally everywhere in this game world, there are jars, and you'll know them once you play the game. They're very identifiable once you've seen them and know to look for them that have mecha. There are dogs everywhere that you give the dog food to, and they will go and run off to the side and dig up money for you. There are also, really want to keep your eyes out for these, lucky cat statues that when you break them open, they give you a ton of mecha. So just keep an eye out for all these things. I promise you'll never run out of Mecca and you'll always, always be moving forward towards the end goal of unlocking all these different trophies. So that's this week's buried treasure. Now let's go check out what this week's captain's decree is. Gamers, this may come across as more of a captain's rant as opposed to a captain's decree, but I gotta do it. It's relevant to the episode and the content this week, and man, it just kind of really, really frustrated me when the realization was there that this is the actuality of what I'm dealing with here. And what I'm talking about is that trophy not being fully explained correctly, in my opinion, as far as, hey, in Ghostwire Tokyo, transfer all souls in the city of Shibuya before completing the story. Okay, well, to me, that means before the credits roll and the game is over. And I feel like for most people, that's probably how they would read and interpret that and, and that verbiage. Well, coming to find out that, no, in fact, technically, it's chapter four where this is really kind of considering that to be. Now, I will say, obviously, I'm not willing to risk it or test it. But in my research of looking up and seeing if I was screwed out of the, the trophy or not, I did see that, well, technically, in one article, it said you don't have to do it before Chapter 4 and the ending of it. You can actually come back when the game is over and the credits roll. It will give you the option, hey, do you want to start back at the beginning of Chapter 4 before the events at the end of it transpire? And then if you do it from that point on, you should still be able to unlock it. I don't know about you guys. I'm personally not willing to risk it. I've had too many issues with trophies and achievements over the years where things don't unlock or they are glitched and they don't unlock for a week or days or a month later. I just, I don't want to risk it. And I really hope that internally in the system, because I did complete chapter four and I did get the trophy for completing chapter four, that even though this guy's saying, hey, you can still do it afterwards, I'm hoping that the system doesn't read, oh, they've unlocked the trophy for completing chapter four and it was done before transferring all spirits out. So they do not qualify for unlocking this trophy. I just, I have some bad luck sometimes when it comes to trophies and achievements, guys, and I really don't want it to be the case here in this situation. And it just frustrates me because had the description read, make sure to transfer all spirits out of the city before the end of chapter four. Okay. I would have known. I wouldn't have gone to see through the conclusion of chapter four to progress on to chapter five in the game. I would have continued going around the city, basically doing what I'm going to now focus on now. 
and try to mop up literally everything. And then I'll go and complete chapter four and move on into the story again. But it's just frustrating. I don't understand why developers at this point, we, we've been the trophy slash achievements, really, if you go all the way back to when this whole thing first started, this system for console gaming, right? Started with the Xbox 360 and achievements when that console launched in November of 05. So here we are, and it's almost November of 22. We're almost 17 years later. And come on, uh, developers, like give us the right accurate description. Don't leave an opportunity for the possibility of a gamer such as myself or anybody else to not fully understand exactly what you're asking and then get screwed out of, in this case, not just a trophy, but also the platinum trophy. Like that, if you are a trophy hunter and you go after platinums, you know what that would mean if I completed the game or if, if it was you and you know what I mean and you complete a game and you somehow got screwed out of getting that platinum trophy because of this other trophy and the lack of a valid or thorough, in my opinion, description of what you're supposed to do. So that was my rant. Developers, please be more specific and exact in your trophy and achievement descriptions so that it doesn't screw your players out of the reward. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch networks, or find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.